What a journey, though, to crawl in earth first, then in filth swim, to pass through your own plumbing, meet the worms within, and realize it, that you were under all the world. When I was a kid, I lied like a sewer system. I told my sometime chums I went there, to the realm of shades, and said I saw vast halls, the many chambers of endless caves, magic pools guarded by merlins dressed in mole furs and cobwebs, chests overflowing with the doubtless dime store jewelry, rooms of doubloons, and suddenly, through an opening jagged rip, as in rotten cloth, a new sun shining, meadows filled with healthy flowers, crayon-colored streams, oh, the acres of Eden inside ourselves. I said I saw, as if I hoped for it, wanted to believe. Am I not at least that far redeemed to have caught up to the first half-truth in my fantasy eventually? come back from below ground, if not from the underworld, to say, hello and welcome, I'm Douglas Walls and this is 42 Minutes, a podcast about meaning from SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's September 26, 2020, International Observe the Moon Night, and today we are coming out of the underworld again, just in time to return for Halloween. Good evening and welcome to the summer installment of the 42 Minutes Seasonal Book Club. Tonight we consider The Tunnel, William Glass's second novel, which first appeared on the literary scene in 1995 at which time it was promptly hailed as an indisputable masterpiece. It is the story of a middle-aged professor who, upon completion of his massive historical study, Guilt and Innocence in Hitler's Germany, finds himself writing a novel about his own life instead of the introduction to his magnum opus. The tunnel meditates on history, hatred, unhappiness, and above all, language. When the harsh reality of his work begins to dawn on him, he fears that his wife Martha will stumble onto his papers and read most his most personal and cruel descriptions of his and their life. Because of his fear, he hides the pages inside Guilt and Innocence in Hitler's Germany. During this time, he also starts to dig a tunnel underneath the basement of his home, eventually hiding the dirt inside the drawers of his wife's collection of antique furniture. This evening, I will share the tunnel with Znor. Uh, how are you doing tonight, Znor? Did you make it out of the tunnel, and are your drawers dirty? Uh, definitely my drawers are dirty, but I did make it out. <laughs> nice to hear from you, Doug. <laughs> it's good to hear from you. I was looking at Amazon tonight, and uh, they had switched Gaddis and Gas's bio on their uh, paperback version of the tunnel so that's uh strange but um that's kind of appropriate eh? <laughs> <laughs> i just wonder uh did you have any sense of what you were getting into before you got into this and then what do you make of it um no i didn't i didn't know what to expect coming into it i thought i thought it would be a lot easier read than it ended up being um, it was, uh, 
I just I just found it hard to stay in the tunnel for that long. You know, I I could read for um, like a, a stretch of time, but then then I had to get out and think about something else or do something else. I don't know if you had that experience. Is it, it was kind of a hard one to read, and I um, these days I my reading time. I haven't had as much time to read these days in general, so so it was it went longer than the other books, I think. Interesting. So, do you think it was the actual the text itself, or more of the subject matter that was difficult for you? Um, both. It was kind of hard. Yeah, it was just just kind of hard to stay in his headspace. Like you're always um, the whole book. You're in the headspace of one one character yeah william william kohler or whatever however his name is pronounced um and his headspace is a hard headspace to be in for for a long time i think uh well so like that was something that i came to where we don't really know what guilt and innocence says i think i saw that there was two paragraphs somewhere in the tunnel from guilt and innocence and I couldn't find it if I wanted to. But you get the sense, I, you, maybe you, maybe I got the sense that he's applying. So like uh, sometimes we want to just paint the the Germans or like uh, that time period is like it's black and white. There's just bad guys and good guys. There's no there's no nuance. And so do you think in attempting to bring empathy for like the guilt and innocence of the Germans during World War II, that, you know, at the same time, we're supposed to have empathy for him based on his own upbringing and, you know, what he became? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole thing is such a huge thing, like how it's, how, uh, how his book is connected to his own life. Um, I don't know, if, if just if we started with, we'll, guilt and innocence itself like uh i think just what i got from a number of times when he's, when he's talking about it is that um he's challenging the idea like as a historian like as as a professor of history he's challenging the idea that um it was just the nazis or just the the, the top echelon of the nazis and just hitler who were the bad guys in in World War II, and he's saying, no, it's all all Germans at that time sort of cheered on um, Hitler's rise and the Nazis' rise. Um, so that's sort of the guilt part. Is like, where do you assign guilt, right? And then, but he's also questioning. It seems like he doesn't get as much into this, but he's also questioning the the idea that the Jews especially were all innocent, you know, like that, that there wasn't something, uh, that they had done or were doing in German society that, that was not guilty as well, you know? So he's kind of like, uh, his whole sort of theory of history is sort of that idea where it's, um, nothing is, nothing is black and white, and it all breaks down to you can't apply theories to history. Um, you can't even isolate facts. It all just is a bunch of events that sometimes um, become significant 
uh, there's one point in the in the novel where he's he's saying like like uh, things in themselves like just objects maybe or, or events or whatever they have their own desires in a way and they desire to latch on to something that will become significant um, and so I uh, he, he mentions this one example like if for example if you uh, I forget what you said like if you're just scratching your crotch or whatever it's like uh, it's not going to be historic right it's not going to affect anything but if you happen to fall asleep in church or something, and then your falling asleep makes the minister unhappy, and then that affects his sermon, then you've affected a, you've influenced something else. That little action um, has influenced a, a wider thing, and so he applies that to history in general, where small little actions can have huge effects, right? And and, and all and history just breaks down to that. So I don't know. I think he's he's trying to say his own life is a particular instance of that. You know, I, I don't know if he's trying to say that or I. That other part of your question is a huge thing. Is like why is he writing this and and how does it apply to his own theories of history? Well, part of this book, of course, is the. So it's funny because. And I didn't come to this until just recently. Ulysses is a book about – would you say that it's a book about yes, saying yes yeah. to life? Yeah, definitely. I was going to make the same point. You know, Yeah, definitely. This is a book about saying no to life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly the point I, I, I wanted to make too. And he's, that, he's, like, he's clearly following Ulysses too. Like he, well, um, Gas mentions that he's a massive fan of, of Joyce and Ulysses. And there's there's little allusions to uh, both Ulysses and Finnegan's Wake throughout this book, but there's that one um, one section towards the end where it's his day to day life. Yeah, it's, it's like it's a day in the life of William Kohler. And that's clearly Leopold Bloom, right? But it's like you said, he does affirm things, like he affirms like washing his dishes and doing all these little like making his breakfast and all these little things and feeding the birds. And um, so there is a, there is a level of affirmation there, but in, in the main, it's, it's like you said, it's like a kind of this, uh, this dark no space, um, which is, that is exactly what, what I meant by it's hard to stay in that space for, for long, you know, it starts to affect you. You start to look around and <laughs> see things in that way. And so it, like those are the thoughts that I was having is like so there's no filter here we're completely like it is and I could see how this book would really um rub people the wrong way so like his sexual desire is front and center like most of the time where you're you're uh, having a thought about history and then it's like um you know sexual impulse that is given voice you know he's thinking about the death camps and then uh you know then he's thinking about if you know in the same breath there's like a, a sexual thought you know yeah yeah that's similar also to um um ulysses and leopold bloom like bloom's always thinking about sex too like he uh like there's scenes where he's, he's like 
he's on the street walking and he sees like he sees some some cute woman or something across the street and he's he's cursing because a streetcar blocks his view and stuff like he's got he's he's always thinking about that as well but he it's um with bloom it's always humorous and and kind of even when it's it's creepy and weird it's kind of funny and uh innocent in a certain way but but with uh with Kohler it's kind of yeah it 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 gets tied into all this other weirdness like um but it's interesting it's it's like it could be it could be innocent and it could be even healthy and uh like he has that side to it but he's he's always like there's so much stuff that's happened to him right from his childhood as we learn that has messed up his life that um that always that always kind of twists his perception of things well so what sections did you like the best i guess um yeah i liked uh let me check um this did you did you end up reading uh did you end up uh listening to it listening to him read it Yes, and so I think it was easier to listen to than it was probably to read. And so the interesting thing about listening to it is like um, there's a circular quality to it. So you can really listen just about from any point and yeah. not not having any context. So like that's what's so bizarre about this book. I think you would get a lot more on another go around. Like it would really feed itself, mm-hmm. but I don't think I want to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I asked you about listening cause I might want to listen to it again. This is one book. I think of all the books that we've read, this is the one book that I really want to hear him listen to. I, I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't able to this time to, to, well, I, I haven't been listening to any of them, but I, um, I didn't listen to him. But I, this is one book where I would want to listen to it because I think you could get a lot more out of listening to him and then maybe reading along at the same time. Um, and I think you're right. Like you'd be able to stay in that space for longer maybe if you're, if you're to do that. Um, but uh, yeah, so, no, I was just asking about that because um, you're asking about the sections I liked. And I think... Um, there's certain sections that I wanted to listen to just because they were so um, so bizarre in a certain way. Like um, even the first the first section, like life in the chair, it's kind of I I would like to listen to that again because it's kind of like um, I think he even said this in a in an interview is that that first episode or that first section is kind of hard to get through. Um, if you have patience with that section, then the following sections are easier you know but that's kind of it's kind of like an an overture or something or it's kind of more um an avant-garde style um so that's one section i'd like to listen to again and then there's that other short section i don't know like there are 12 main sections yeah Um, yes oh this one okay number 10 uh suzu i approach you in my dreams that was a weird one that was um, like I, i thought I was getting through the book and I was happy to get through it. I was like, ah, oh, this is going pretty, pretty well. And then I got to that section and then it's just all over the place. You know, <laughs> it's a, it, it, that he just goes from one thing to a, to another. Um, well, I think I really, I liked 
learning about his father, it's almost like the stuff that I learned about his him at the beginning of the book it's it was strange to think back towards the end and it's like was that is that the same it's like was i reading a different book at that time cuz the i think didn't the father wasn't he working at at the the family furniture store or something and so he he, he was miserable everyone is miserable in this book right yeah the, the mother's miserable the father's miserable the son the aunt yeah Oh, the ant. Yeah, but so Uncle Balt, for some reason, he's the character that I I really appreciated, and I don't even know if he was real. I think there was <laughs> <Yeah>. one line. <laughs> I think he might have been made up for this. Yeah, that, I I think I think he was like he. Uh, yeah, he describes him as a metaphor of being, being itself, being with a capital B. Um, so he. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. Yeah, I agree. I don't think he existed really. But he was so alive on the page, or I mean, just I. I think he's in all caps too. Like all these different. Like there's so that the interesting thing about this book for me is it made me think about my own childhood. And, yeah, me too. Um, like my my parents and my grandparents and like uh the lives that they had and like old cars and family trips and uh, farming and like different things like that. So it, it seemed like it, it captured, it captured a chunk of America, but it, 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 like you said, it's just through such a dark lens that it's, it's so strange. Um, like of all the books, this is not one that I would say, Oh, you got to read this. It's almost like, you know, it's it's hard to say. Um, like one of the things that I struggle with is whether or not, you know, um, like if it's all shadow, is it his shadow or is he is he? You know, that's the hardest part for me is like uh, William Kohler is just so so dark. It's all shadow. Yeah. Although, like, this is a weird thing about him. Like, he, it's all shadow, but, like, he is writing this book. Kohler is writing this book. And this book is full of just beautiful prose all the way through. So he's, he's, he's like, so dark on one sense, but then his, he's, he's, he's completely full of beauty, you know, like, that he's expressing. Um, and then, in, but he'll have, he'll, he'll make these, these beautiful passages, and then all of a sudden he'll be, He'll be talking about his uh, his dick again, <laughs> whatever you know, or or or, or making some uh, some some anti-Semitic joke or something like that, you know. So it's like it really kind of throws you for a loop, you know. But it's like, yeah, like he says, he says his like he's a the professor. Being, being a bigot section was pretty. Yeah, you just reminded me of that whole section about. I don't even know where they're from. Where were they from? The the family that moved into their neighborhood. Uh, it just doesn't went. even it doesn't even explain where they're from. They're just generic kind of weird immigrant outsiders. The toot toots. The toot toots. Yeah. Yeah. They're just maybe Asian. It's not described. I thought they're maybe Persian or I don't know. It doesn't really say. It's like it's all kind of ambiguous where they're actually from. Toot toot and toot twat. 
two squats. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that's a that's a great that's a great section. And and yeah, that part on uh, bigotry and how that feeds into his uh, the party of dispossessed people, you know, is is brilliant. And uh, but the other thing is, I I was reading in one of those um, those links that you posted about. Uh, well, that yeah, that's something we should say is that this is a you're saying it's the 25th anniversary, and so there's there's just recently all this attention placed on this book, um, and so they had what is it a kind of a live uh, symposium or something on his work or. On the tunnel. So they, they were supposed to be before the pandemic. They were planning. So his papers are at this library, and they were going to have a symposium, but they couldn't do it. And so they created a website for the people that were working on, you know, these different things they were going to share. Yeah. So in there somewhere, I forget who it was. I was reading. Um, somebody had asked Gas about what this is about. If it's about. Um, the Nazi period and the Holocaust, and he said, "Well, it's it's actually about fascism in the USA, you know, the kind of rise of fascism in the USA." And he's he talks a few places in the book about fascism of the heart, you know, that's what this book is about. Um, how, uh, what creates the kind of fascist mentality, I think, and what could lead to fascism in the U.S. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of topical. <laughs> you know? Well, what's so fascinating about uh, gas is that so some of the details of his life are really similar to the details. So I think he was in an unhappy marriage. Like so, you know, some of you know he was giving voice to some of his own. So like that's that's the. The metaphor is awful. So, like, he's comparing his bad – he's trapped in this bad marriage to being, like, in a concentration camp, and he needs to escape the 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 guard, which is his wife, by digging a tunnel through the basement. Is that – A is metaphor. That, and I, literally. But that, we don't know if he really dug anything. But he had to have dug something because his wife flipped out when she started finding all the dirt in the – yeah, yeah, I think it's pretty clear that he was actually digging. Like it, it. That's the thing about this book is that I think most of it, like, aside from we were saying, Uncle, what's his name, Uncle Balter, um, and most and, of this is most of this is literally literally happens. I think, um, like he, uh, I don't know. I, um, it's not it's not as dreamy as other books that we've read. You know, where you can't really make out what actually happened um it's less less ambiguous i think like i think he when he talks about digging the tunnel um he's actually he's actually dug the areas that he talks about like he went he talks about he he went two step two step ladders down and then went across like i think the actual um on the cover uh i think we probably have the same edition the dulky edition have you got that? Yeah. And then you yeah. can see you can see the tunnel here. I think this actually is the tunnel. I think that's actually what he's dug. 
But the tunnel is also his mind that we're in. We're in. And then so I couldn't help but think that the GI, guilt and innocence, the GI tract, the, you know, it's the gastrointestinal tract. Oh, like, good. That's yeah, all. Yeah. No, that's it's, good. That's the tunnel. Like we're so like there's there's a lot of eating and shitting in this book, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we're and sex, too. And toilet, you were saying before about Kohler being the toilet. Um, the toilet there's a, a yeah. yeah that yeah and so i think like he's doing that on purpose at times where you're you're he mixes like low and high and so you'll be you'll be thinking about something that's elegant or something you know especially with the language and then and then he'll be talking about turd bombs or whatever right <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so so then he, uh, I just looked up the other tunnel. Their tunnel. It's here's a, an interesting fact I learned from that that symposium though. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna originally, uh, Gas wanted to publish this unbound in a paper bag. Oh really? <laughs> so you just pick up loose leaves of it. You just start picking it up and reading. And so it's it's interesting because like it it seems like that's the same premise of uh, House of Leaves. Yeah. You know, uh, and, yes. and I really thought that if if this book came out in ninety five, I wonder if it influenced Danielewski. Yeah, it might have. Uh... Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he he must have known about it. Like gas was, this this must have been anticipated at that time, by by people in that, like literary people, right? Like, um, like he yeah, was, and, he was, and it's he was interesting. Already pretty well known. Yeah, I don't I don't know I don't know much about gas, but I think he was pretty well known at that time. Um, even before that, right? Well, everyone talks about like his shorter works. I think that really. Yeah. And I think they everyone appreciates this one, but it really just kind of went underground. I don't like that's you know I was telling you how Amazon's confused Gas and Gaddis, and I think in my head I couldn't I didn't know which one was which either. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, I think initially I made that same mistake too. I just end up I just end up finding. Um, the recognitions finally. So I gotta read that and catch up with you guys. <laughs> it's funny because I was thinking the theme of the recognitions is so pertinent all the time. I just think, oh, do we do I need to do that one again? Because it's it's about uh, authenticity, mm. you know, and forgery and what what makes something real. But there's a fair amount of mysticism in it too. But then it's also, uh, you know, uh, it's not modernist, but like um, postmodernist. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Like he, um, I, I read somewhere too, um, where he was talking, or Gas was talking about uh, Ulysses again, and how Ulysses is still modernist in the sense that. It's linear. It goes from chapter to chapter all the way through. Um, 
and even Finnegan's Wake does that. Like Finnegan's Wake is sort of a like a, a circle, a big circle, but it kind of goes from one thing to another. I'm not I'm not really sure if it does, but um, but he's saying with this book, like you said, you could just pick it up anywhere, you know, and it's not necessarily linear. You don't know, you don't really know what follows from what in the book. Um, what event pre- precedes the other? Well, so when he was being interviewed by Silverblatt for this book back in '95, in that was the thing that I think Michael Silverblatt had read it like in the interview. He said two and a half or two and three quarters times or something, and so he was really coming to the interview thinking about how highly structured it was, where. And so, like, there's that one section where he's talking about the box and he's hiding, like, uh, the secret entrance to the – that there's a secret entrance to his things. And so there was kind of a a secret entrance. Like, you were talking about how difficult the first Philippic is. Mm -hmm. And it isn't until the the third Philippic that the book actually – that's the true beginning is what people call it. Mm. where it's we have not lived the right life uh, uncle mm. bolt and the nature of being yeah so that's that's the true beginning of the book apparently and all the other ones are just false starts yeah uh, who may who's who concludes that it's not gas himself who says that uh a, a lot of people have concluded that actually mm. and and gas does say that he does put the the postmodern stuff at the very beginning to make yeah. it like you have to earn your way in. Like <laughs> yeah. <you> maybe <laughs> you have to dig. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of stuff to, to talk about with this this book. Well, one we of the just... other things I learned was that like one of his main main goals was to create a container of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, he's. He said it would be a, a record of his mind, you know, or something. And I think it's there. Like, like he captured, like, the consciousness is there. It's just, it's so unfiltered. It's, it's not, um, <laughs> it's not what, how we normally want to spend our time, you know, in, yeah. in the filth. Yeah, that's a thing. Like, um, I was thinking of that reading it as well. It's like, yeah, like all the reviews you read. Um, yeah, Kohler is a terrible person. You wouldn't want to be Kohler. But but if you if you really examine your own thoughts when you're having dark thoughts, and you were to write down those dark thoughts that you're having, which everybody has, you know, um, they would be pretty repulsive as well. Like I know mine would, you know. Like when when I'm having dark thoughts and think that my the world and my life and everything else is is shit you know like if i was to write at that point it would be pretty uh i don't like it'd be pretty gloomy as well i don't know if i'd want to read it um but so so in that sense it yeah he's 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 a nasty guy but i i do kind of have sympathy for him in a lot of ways you know like like he's a he's a middle class um middle class guy professor at a university and he he and his wife are both 
sort of become overweight and they've had two kids and after after his wife had the, the kids, two boys, um, basically their sex life ended, you know? And then he's, so he's this frustrated, middle-aged, old, fat guy. Um, and whereas before it seemed like he was very involved physically with his wife, intimate with his wife, you know? That's all gone now. And uh, he just he has no other outlet for things, you know? And then plus his childhood, his background, like his, his mother was this crazy alcoholic who hid gin in little bottles all around her house like an aspirin bottles or jam jam jars or whatever wherever she could hide it and she she just became uh she couldn't do anything after a while and then and his father was the same thing his father was abusive and he became completely uh arthritic to the point where he couldn't get out of bed um and he had to uh call her had to bring both of them to a, to a hospital um, to, to, to stay permanently when he was quite young. Like he was only, what, like 15 or something when he had to send both his mom and his dad away. Um, so all of that's in his head, like in his background and everything else, you know. And so it's like, um, sure, he's a terrible guy in a sense, but it's like uh, I, I do have sympathy for him, you know. Yeah, I do too. I'm... Um... So, like, what you were saying about – so the, the thoughts are interesting because usually everyone's thoughts are private, of course. But um, his actions – so he does also do despicable, despicable things, too. So part of the guilt and innocence is that it sounds like he participated in Kristallnacht. Like, yeah, yeah, he got caught up cut caught up in it which it's like um like i don't want to justify him again you know but he was he was a young student at the time he wakes up in the night and hears all this noise going on and then he gets out everybody's kind of riding on the streets and he meets his friends and they're all participating and so he, he just gets swept up in it you know and like uh um who knows how how deeply ideologically he agreed with it you know but he ends up uh throwing at least one rock through the window of a of a jewish business you know um and then i think they broke some non-jewish businesses too yeah yeah maybe yeah you know you're right yeah so yeah that's right it's it's like so i don't know like hard to say like especially these days you know like people out in the streets and uh, getting involved in stuff in the streets um getting caught up in in action you, you know when when things are popping off um can you really stop yourself in a, in a way i think that's that's a point that he's making um but at the same time he does sympathize with mad meg his his old professor old german professor in germany and and mad meg is definitely at least a proto-nazi you know like he's he's cheering it all on um so I guess Collar's Collar's ideology is kind of strange, but he's definitely I'd I'd say <laughs> of a fascist mindset. Yeah, I mean there there's the one point where the book just kind of sidles up to 
reality of the time and place when he's lecturing his class about Vietnam. So you're, you know, kind of figure that these kids are um, protesting and doing the things of that nature, and and he's trying to give them the long view. Yeah. About yeah. things. About the the West's um, long war against Asia. Um, yeah. There's a lot of good meat, like, so like uh, I I I think I appreciated like Mad Meg's historical lectures, or maybe it's just one lecture, but there it seemed like they were parts that felt really meaty and substantive, where you know even though we're, it's his consciousness that that we're you know brushing up against things that um were really fascinating like his take on on hitler at the very end of the book too i thought yeah was, yeah yeah you want to get into that that's a that's a really good point sure um let's see where he says, sure, Adolf Hitler knew how to play the piano badly, how to type slowly, how to drive a car erratically, how to draw inadequately, how to write drivel, how to remember photographically, and how to bombast beautifully. But bombast isn't bombing. He was, in fact, a petty little twerp, a man of such meager means he could only wish the way the weasel wishes it were a looker like the tiger and a lord like the lion. What I wonder about are all of those who weren't torps, who willed what Hitler wished, who pondered and planned and organized and sacrificed in order to establish the thousand-year Reich, who donned uniforms and fired guns and made, plan, made planes and prepared food and forged those famous chains of command, who invented and connived and lied and stole and killed because they willed what that little twerp wished. They, who I idolized a loud doll, who loved the twerp's truths, who carried out the wishes of a murderous fool, an ignoble nobody, a failure so unimportant that failure seems a fulsome description of him. Revisionists will try and make Hitler out to be a cunning fellow. They will argue that vegetarians are not necessarily sentimental cranks. They will end by calling him a sagely able leader. They will remove some of the guilt from the German people and place more of it upon the head goat. Doers of deeds of darkness will blame – see, like that kind of stuff is just part of this book. Doers of deeds of darkness will blame their unfavorable reputation on the slow arrival of dawn. Of dawn. Sinners guilty of any actual execution will say the seeds lay – in someone else's thoughts, when the prophets enlarged the scope of the law to include intentions and desires as well as acts, they made everyone into a lawbreaker, as St. Paul immediately observed. However, they also took some of the heat off the perpetrators. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, um, <laughs> yeah that's excellent. Right but before that, too, the, the the lessons of Hitler the in the boldface stuff, too. It's like... Um, there are really great meaty passages. Well, yeah. So that one, yeah, I think that's that's huge um, because that's the main thing to to think about is that he, Kohler, is not a Hitler fan. You know, he just sees, even though I think he does have sympathy for the Nazi regime, like he, uh, 
it's it's not even much of a question that he does, you know. But uh, but he he's no he's no fan of Hitler. Like he, and he thinks that Hitler was only like a uh, like a like a twerp, like you said, like a like a puppet almost. Like he was he was the one who sort of focused all this energy, like all this. Um, the, all the energy that disappointed people, you know, is focused on Hitler. And then Hitler's made out afterwards to be this monster. He was the one who was the main evil behind it all. But but actually it was like Hitler was the one who uh, who just focalized everything, the, the whole nation. And so if you're going to talk about guilt, you have to expand it to the whole German nation. But not only that, you know, like he, he kind of makes the point that any nation could have gone the same way, you know. And so he talks about at one point he's talking to Lou, his his girlfriend Lou, who was uh, an ex-student of his. And he says um, that in writing Guilt and Innocence, his purpose was to indict all of mankind. You know, like he just spreads the guilt universally in a way and that's like a i don't know yeah that's that's profound you know especially when you when you apply that to what's going on now in the states with with trump you know it's like everybody now is yeah trump is an idiot like he's a he's he's a bombast you know he's like a he's he's a he's a con man he's a reality a tv reality tv star you know um but that's all you need you know um, you need the all you need is is some focal point for this like uh, the party of dis uh, disappointed people you know all these disappointed people are just looking for something to bring them together you know that's what's terrible well, so that's, that's the whole book. Cool.